Welcome to our DLA Piper Tech Law podcast series. My name is Sandra Oyewole, and I'm a partner at the DLA Piper Nigeria office. I head our intellectual property and technology practice group. I also co-lead our employment practice group. With me today is my good friend, Professor Yinka David West, a lecturer at the Lagos Business uh, School, and it is an absolute delight to welcome her to this podcast. Welcome, Yinka, and uh, please introduce yourself. Hello, Sandra, and thank you for having me here today. My name is Yinka David West. I'm a professor of information systems at the Lagos Business School, where I also function as academic director. My interests were really foiled by my background in technology, where I have a passion to see digital technologies drive business and societal change, especially in emerging markets like ours, where we have unique and challenges and problems. And one focal area is in the area of financial services and using digital financial services to address financial inclusion. So it's nice to be here, Sandra. Before we get started, would you please, for the benefit of anyone who does not already know, share with us a little bit about the reports that you've authored and coordinated over the last three to four years? Okay, thanks, Sandra. Generally, um, as I said, my focal area is in financial services, digital financial services for financial inclusion. So over the last uh, four, three years, we've been authoring a state of market report that looks at the state of the market of digital financial services advancing financial inclusion in Nigeria. And we look at it from three perspectives, really. We look at the consumer side and trying to crunch consumer data to better understand what are the patterns from the individual community and household levels. We look at the um, the provider side and trying to look at what are the tensions and constraints within the around the provision of digital financial services to the underserved. And then also the big elephant in the room is looking at the regulatory side and how do we enhance um, regulatory and uh, regulation and oversight to um, to financial services providers within the expanded um, ecosystem that we're playing in now. Thank you very much, Inka. And one of the reasons why I thought it was really important for you to talk about these reports is that um, we all know that these reports have been instrumental towards some of the policies and regulations that our regulators and the government have come up with because these reports have identified the problem areas. They've identified the demographics that do need um, um, support. And as a result, they have um, developed policies that allow for that tech to actually get to where it's needed. So thank you very much for that. Right now, we're in the middle of a global pandemic, and we all know that pandemics, financial crisis can be the catalyst for some incredible innovation and creativity. How have you seen our fintechs on the continent responding to COVID-19? What innovation has been brought to the continent, whether it's Nigeria, South Africa, Kenya, Morocco? Um, Basically, Sandra, you find out that... um COVID-19 has been a catalyst for digital transformation, especially in emerging markets like ours where technology adoptions were not really popular. So we've seen a surge in technology adoptions and you know they say that there is no crisis like a pandemic that allows you to adopt quickly. But amidst this um, predict, amidst what we've seen so far, we've seen that 
things like working from home and uh, the movement of work from place to space has advanced what we've predicted for about, for by about a decade. And what Absolutely. do we Exactly. We see digital, you know, but then in, in Africa, we're a mobile first market. So we're not exactly very um, adaptable to the full features of all the digital technologies that we have. And then again, when you look at what has happened in the business space, we've seen a massive um, upsurge in the digitization of business processes and activities, especially during the lockdown, where we mm -hmm. saw is closed down, but then essential businesses like markets and products and services could still move. So what we saw was that some payments companies started up marketplaces to enable the micro and small businesses and those cash-oriented businesses really get on the digital landscape in terms of being able to trade. And this is where the fintechs came in, in the sense where they had to bring in and facilitate the financial flows and the digital payments in general, because Another fear of COVID was the transmission through handling of cash and things like that. So there was also the resistance to using cash and the trend to adopt digital payments and services. So while those who could not really use the likes of um, marketplaces and set up um, in e-commerce stores, we also saw things like WhatsApp. And social media tools like Instagram also surge in terms of micro, small and medium businesses able to trade and facilitate exchanges. And then this is where we saw a boost in um, last mile logistics, because, again, these goods and services have to be delivered. If they can't be di di um, delivered digitally, they have to be transported to their location. So the logistics industry also saw a surge in business. And now everybody has a logistics company piggy piggybacking on them because they're still re reluctant to go in stores and um, trade normally again. And then another thing that we also saw was um, how do we onboard new customers? Because people who didn't previously have digital products and services were now more willing to adopt because that was the only way of information flows and financial flows really moving around in, in general. And then again, the integration of platforms. So we saw um, fintechs bringing in um, additional services and integrating additional services to ensure that the flows will also be uh, enhanced for the customers in general. So those are the kinds of things that we saw. And then we also saw funding campaigns because a lot, a lot of other businesses too were thinking about how do I raise money? How do we support some of the underprivileged um, societies within our communities? So a lot of funding campaigns and giving campaigns through crowdfunding were also available in, in, that, in that period. But one of the things is that we saw all these things happen in a very short period of time, which was remarkable. And so those are some of the things that we've seen happening and we hope will continue to happen as we evolve and learn through the pandemic? Um, I think in a nutshell, what you have just said really just underscores the role of technology, which is that it's an enabler. And the fintechs identified the problems and began to respond to the needs of the people across the continent. But in, in so doing, I mean, I, I picked up on how um, Instagram, which was a photo sharing app, has been converted by people on the continent to a marketplace, right? And um, those are the kind of things that show how technology has actually evolved to suit the needs of the people that actually want it. At this point in time, what are the current challenges that um, you are seeing to the fintech industry? 
Okay. Uh, generally, we, you know, every business, every continent has challenges and the fintech industry in sub-Saharan Africa also has to deal with environmental challenges in terms of infrastructure, power, co- telecoms quality and things like that. So, but then again, we, we also need to realize that we can't wait until all the pieces or all the dots align before we do things. So this is where the creativity and the innovation comes in. And so what we also, what we, produ- what we promote is really market creating innovations that amidst our constraints, what really can we do? Then, but when we look at challenges, we still need to address the issue of people. You know, people, talent, skills, capabilities are, are, are significant. And you recall some of the work we did earlier where we talked about what are the skills and competencies fintechs require. And, we, you know, we divided them into four blocks. Business mm. and management skills. That while we have good technology development skills, how do we understand the landscape of business and management? And when we talk about marketing and go-to-market strategies and things like that, because those things still need to be addressed. Legal and compliance, which is another big issue because fintechs operate in a regulated market. And we know that with regulated markets, the central bankers and the regulators are thinking about stability, integrity, protection. But fintechs Mm -hmm. want to go into the market. And so how do we balance and ensure that there's proportionate regulation, which we'll talk about in a bit more detail later. And I think another important component is this issue about customer centricity and human-centered design. How do we design design around the customers and their needs and the problems they're trying to face rather than designing around products that we feel the market will need? And then the big elephant in the room, of course, is the regulation. How do we ensure that we have proportionate regulation that's unambiguous and it's clear and understandable to all actors who want to play in the market? And those are some of the key issues. And when we begin to sort of eat into them, we realize that, one day, one day for a problem. <laughs> you know, when, when, when you're talking about the challenges, you know, and the legal and regulatory issues, what also comes to mind is that we're actually still in the middle of a pandemic. Mm. And um, for instance, something as basic as returning to work under the most health and uh, safety conscious um, protocols and measures. Um, we're advising on that all the time right now uh, because that's critical. And um, with regards to knowing what the licensing regime is, the regulatory regime is, that's also another big one. But I, I want to circle back to this issue of financial inclusion. Right? You've done incredible work where financial inclusion is concerned. By the way, congratulations on completing your course on uh, financial inclusion. And I'm looking at the EFINA impact study report of 2020. And one of the things that that report did was to identify that fintech was definitely a driver for financial inclusion. It was also identified that fintech is a driver for the digital economy and even the gender balance issue. What what, what would be your comments on that? When we look at Nigeria's um, financial inclusion um, numbers since uh, 2012, in terms of formal financial inclusion, we're still about 40%. And this is also validated by our bank verification numbering identity system that has recorded less than 43 million 
unique account holders. And when we talk about account holders, we think about the Nigerian population space as 100 million adults, right? So we can say that financially included, we're about 40% in general. And when you think about it, when we look at um, fintechs, unfortunately, fintechs are still new. They're emergent, they're startups, they're not established in this country. And when we, in the financial services um, ecosystem, trust is one of the dimensions that really, really inhibits or, you know, inhibits the use of adoption of financial services. But when you, but then I think fintechs are addressing different problems, not just, not financial inclusion, because the, one of the challenges is that the ability to go down market. And when we say down market, we mean the last mile. How do you distribute to the person in the rural area that probably doesn't have any telecoms or doesn't have any way of getting to the city to go to the bank? And that's really what we're trying to think about. How do we ensure that there's equity and inclusion across Nigeria? Because when you want to bring in some of these um some of the rural people, you have to think about the pecuniary and non-pecuniary costs of using financial services. So the environment is one thing I mentioned. When you look at network coverage, power, financial infrastructure, because you know while we think of, oh, ATMs are in existence, but ATMs are still just limited to the point of service location, and then you have to get to the ATM and service at the ATM. On the supply side, we have the providers. And what we've seen is that the provider space is now beyond banking since 2009 when the mobile money operators were licensed. But then again, do they have the right business models to cater to serving low-income consumer segments in general? Are they able to deliver the right products and services? And then another thing the financial service providers will always tell you is the cost to serve is still relatively high. So those those issues always sort of mediate against, they would always sway towards working in urban locations that are easier to serve and easier to um, get your money back because viability is also there. Then on the demand side, we also need to realize that, you know, as Nigerian and as Nigerianess as we can get, we're still a very heterogeneous society in general. And so how do we understand our customers and segment them effectively to know what their um, dynamics are. We have some pockets or some segments that need special attention. We have that in um, the youth, the rural areas, the northern areas, the micro, small and medium businesses, as well as women. And so I'll, I'll, I'll use that to segue into gender financial inclusion, which is something that is very, very, um, I'm very, I'm very invested in. But you see, when we look at gender, when you think about the adult population of uh, 100 million Nigerians, right? Half of them are women. And half of, so that half of those women are further disadvantaged because we have this gender gap in, in, our, in our financial inclusion measures and numbers. So what we've, what we've tried to do with FINA and all the other actors in the, in the space is really, rather than just looking at the global numbers, we've now started gender disaggregation. So we can really understand what are the gender-related problems and think around working and strategizing around building for women as well. Because women, whether we like it or not, are a loyal customer segment. Women are critical in economic drivers and economic actors in the space that we operate in. So how do we get them to work in that? So we hope that with those kinds of um, initiatives, we can sort of further spread the word around financial inclusion, reduce the costs 
of access to financial services and include women, youth, and all the underserved communities in our environment. So your final question on fintech driving the digital economy. I think that generally fintechs have a big role to play because financial flows are a critical part of any economic system. But right now, as I said, they're not really there yet. I think the last um, Athena report that you cited was about fintechs only have about 1.25% of retail banking revenues as of 2015. And then when we think about adoption, don't forget that we, when we look at adoption, we're not just looking at the fintechs as the vertical themselves, but we're also looking at enablement of other verticals and other tensions in value chain. So we're still not seeing that full adoption yet. And we hope that COVID being that catalyst will begin to see more of these things happen in general. But I think another area is job creation. Fintechs are now beginning to give us the opportunity and the mindset that, you know what, we can create jobs. And with the likes of uh, LinkedIn and uh, Microsoft that saying that all you need is a, a professional certification, right? You don't need a degree. We hope that the, the youth and employment that we have in our environment will be driven towards STEM-based work and then also will bring in women in that STEM area as well. Inka, I have many, many questions flowing from these answers, but I'm going to dive into something that is also close to my own heart um, and yours, which is the gender imbalance issue. If you're looking at the McKinsey uh, survey of 2019 on women occupying board level positions across the globe, the numbers fall far short of what they should be. Gender diversity continues to be something that we do need to talk about, um, that we do need to stress that we're not quite where we need to be. And I, I think the, the, the question that I'm going to put to you is, why are the numbers so low? The Athena study that was recently reported was that, yes, women are not really active in the fintech space. And I think sometimes... It's about this uh, confidence, you know, just being able to boost your way in the door. A lot of men can do it. And I was at a conversation once and they said, oh, when men have 100, and, uh, when men have 10%, they, they pretend like they know 100%, right? And when women have 110%, they don't even, they're not even listen to, they pretend like they only have 10%. But I think it's scary and we need to pay attention to it because whether we like it or not, there needs to be equity in the whole ecosystem in general. And when you find out that of the 200 or plus fintechs in Nigeria, only about 22% uh, of the top 50 sort of have a co-founder who is female, right? Only 48% have women in senior management roles. We need to do more. We need to talk more. We need to advocate more. And we need to also realize that we women need to be in practice, both in the hard and in the soft side. Let's open it up and let women come into the space and... Uh, and, and participate equally. I think in, in your previous response, you did talk about some of the ways in which um, we could address the low numbers, but if you could just build up on that a little bit, talk a little bit about advocacy, talk a little bit about mentoring, you know, talk a little bit about networks, because we really do need to broaden the conversation where uh, gender diversity and imbalance is concerned. So. Can you share your thoughts on that? So in terms of how do we increase the numbers of women in STEM, and this is something that we need to 
continually do every day. I would be honest, I'll be honest with you that when I was 10, I didn't know I was going to be in STEM. So if anyone had come to talk to me about STEM, I probably would have just told them, okay. So I, we have to also be mindful that we can, we can do it by design, but we can also ensure that the STEM industry is open and accessible to women. But I think women have a role to play as well. And permit me to say this, that we need to step up. You know, Sandra, when I was working in technology, I was a nuisance because I was always demanding to be educated and to know. You know, I didn't study engineering. I didn't study networking. But I can tell you in terms of just by learning, by watching other people and engaging with other people and asking questions. In terms of advocacy, I think that there's a lot to do there. There's women in STEM, there's women in her programs. Like um, over the weekend, I was on a platform that we're talking about engage and encourage her. And it's nice because digital has worked today because the late, the, this platform and this community were from Joss, which is in the northern, north central Nigeria, which probably I would never have had access to if not for digital technologies. And then oh. even at the senior levels, there's initiatives like the African Women in, payment, in Finance and Payments that's also mm. communities around these things. But with this fragment, fragmented communities, how do we begin to aggregate them and scale up into a more powerful voice? Maybe we have to talk about how we do that, Sandra. And then I think there's also a lot of sponsorship that we need to think about within the organizations that we work in as well. How do we help women within our own organizations rise up and get to the top. And then they're nice programs. For example, Women's World Banking has a nice uh, leadership development program where they have a senior executive woman come with a high potential leader. And the whole idea is how do we build and develop that sponsorship and working together across, um, across the organization. Mentoring also helps, I think, but I'm not sure how many of us, Sandra, have mentoring programs that we sort of bring women in. <laughs> participated in some and I'm trying to create one of my own so maybe we need to I need to finish that and take it and be a bit more deliberate about doing it rather than just doing it in an ad hoc fashion and I think also just the networks and the networking in general and having women join platforms and be part of conversations that would sort of extend the um, conversations and and just sort of put themselves out there and listen out to what other people are saying, other people are thinking, because this, uh, these issues are not native to Nigeria or Africa. When you talk to women in South, in Asia, when you talk to women in America, it's the same stories whatsoever. And I think that as a, as a, as a woman who works in STEM, where you have responsibilities for your family and the management of your family as well, I think all I would say is put your house in order and structure your house in a manner that can also enable you to work and function effectively. So, Yinka, these, this, is a, this is a very big conversation, and um, I, I would add to it and say um, even the pipeline, you know, as you said earlier, ensuring that girls are encouraged to study STEM, you know, um, it's difficult, it's hard. Um, when you qualify, the hours are long, but women who are already in that space need to continue conversing, uh, standing on the rooftops and talking about their own experiences, showing that it is doable and that the hard work does actually um, pay off. 
Um, and, and for that reason, I think one of the things that I'd like to also mention is, is a quote from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, where she, when she's talking about her legacy and she says, we are, the, uh, are beginning to relegate to the history books the idea of the token woman. I mean, and I thought that was particularly powerful and applicable to what we're talking about today, because when you think about the role of STEM, when you think about what is happening with technology, um, it only makes sense for that gender balance um, to continue to be righted to where we need it to actually be. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode in the DLA Piper podcast series and look out for part two of this conversation with Yinka David West.